6, continuing in the Shorter Catechism, coming now to the substance of the Ten Commandments where the moral laws comprehended in a summary way for us. Um, starting there on page 1 of your handouts, the first commandment being, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. What is required in the first commandment is question 46. The first commandment requireth us to know. Now this in First Chronicles is David before his death charging his son Solomon concerning his life and his government as king. First Chronicles 28 verses 8 and 9. Now therefore in the sight of all Israel the congregation of the Lord and in the audience of our God keep and seek for all the commandments of the Lord your God that ye may possess this good land and leave it for an inheritance for your children after you forever. And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the, the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. Here notice a couple of things. One is the solemnity of this charge that David gives. This was in the sight of the whole congregation of Israel. And then who else? Who is listening? God was the audience listening there. And so this charge given is to the people in general to do all the commandments of God. God had taken them as the Lord their God. And then Solomon specifically is commanded to know the God of thy father. And then he reminds him, what sort of God are you serving? The Lord who searches the hearts. He knows whether you just speak words or whether you speak the truth that's inside of you. He'll search that out. God understands all the imaginations of the thoughts, the reasonings that happen in people's thoughts. All the things that are hidden from other men, they're not hidden from God. So God will search out whether you actually keep and know the Lord. He'll know your thoughts. Now, in the Bible, just as an interesting sidelight here, some people think that we would say there's a difference between the head and the heart. But in the Bible, it doesn't make the division between the head and the heart. It makes the division between the lips and the heart. Because the heart is the core of your being, the lips are what you make known to other people by your words. So the Bible defines true religion as not consisting in the lips, but consisting in the heart, or the inner man. And the inner man, the heart of man, is where he thinks, it's where he reasons, the imaginations of the thoughts, he calls it here. God knows all those things. So it's not the head and the heart that the Bible divides. It's the lips and the heart. <clears throat> Are you truly a believer? If so, it'll be in your heart. And he says, you're to know God in your heart. You're to know him in the core of your being. And your mind is to be willing. And that's the idea of knowing God. Psalm 100 verse 3 says, Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Now this is what's called an imperative verb in the Hebrew. It's a verb of command. And if you remember, the indicative 
when a verb is put in the indicative mood, that's like one mind speaking to another. It's providing you information stating this is the case, this is the way this is. That's the indicative. Then there's what's called the imperative mood, which that is what? What's happening when an imperative is given? What's the author doing? He's commanding. He's commanding you. And it's from one will to another will. That's the idea of the imperative. The indicative is mind to mind. The imperative is will to will. This is an imperative. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. And then it identifies him as our creator. That we are not creators. And that he is also our God and we are his people. He's chosen us as his sheep. So this is a command to know the Lord. <coughs> now, in the imperative um, usage, we're told that we are to know God. It is commanded of us to know God. And that's part of the first commandment. The first commandment requireth us to know. Now, in the uh, Septuagint, it's the aorist imperative, which means you must do this urgently. You must do it immediately. You must do it with determination. Right now. Do it. Quick. Hurry. That's the idea of the aorist imperative. Do it with all your might. Okay, now Hosea chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. God, speaking of his people Israel and Judah, he says, Therefore I hewed them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. And thy judgments are as the light that goeth forth. For I desired mercy and not sacrifice. And the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings... But they, like men, have transgressed the covenant. There have they dealt treacherously against me. Okay, here we see a couple of very interesting things. What is it to hew? What is hewing? Cutting a piece of wood. Okay, and specifically there are two ways that they would hew in the ancient world. One is you have a big exalted tree and you cut, cut, cut until it does what? falls down, right? So you bring the loftiness and the pride of the tree down to the ground. So you that's one way God would hew them by the prophets. What's the other usage of hewing in the Bible? What's the other thing they would do when they would hew? Bring the tree down, and what else? Chop it up. Chop it up. Specifically, form it to their purposes, right? So when they hewed wood... The cedars of Lebanon, when those were hewed, they took them away from the temple grounds. Remember that? So that they wouldn't hear the noise of the hewing or the chinking off of stones. And that's where you cut something that's a rounded tree down to a square piece of building material or to some boards or planks that you wanted for your floors or for your ceiling or for your walls like in the temple. So you make it fit for your use. So when God sent the prophets to Israel first... He's going to bring their pride down, bring them down to the ground. Then he's going to fit them to his usage and his holy things, his temple. That's the idea of God hewing them by the prophets. Now, how is it that God is going to destroy their pride? How is it that God is going to slay them by the words of his mouth? By the way, that's a description of the Bible. The words of the prophets are the words of God's mouth. He's going to do that by pointing out to them, that there are two sorts of things that people will present to God. They're going to present either obedience 
of a universal nature, or they'll present obedience of an external nature. What kind do you think Israel presented to God? Were they universally obedient? Externally. Externally, weren't they? They brought sacrifices. They observed solemn feasts, and they're due in appointed seasons, especially in Judah and the southern kingdom. They continued to follow the regular pattern of Levitical worship. But they did not have mercy on their neighbor, and they did not know God. And so God, this is like the difference between the heart and the lips. It's the heart and the external action of, oh, I'll keep these external parts of worship, but don't, don't expect me to go from the inside. Don't expect me to honor you universally. Don't expect me to do everything you say. So here, the contrast is between the knowledge of God and the burnt offerings. The moral law requires you to know God. The ceremonies require you to offer this burnt offering. Which one will you prioritize? This is the logic of God's law, that God requires the knowledge of him more than he would require that you offer burnt offerings to him. But these people were so treacherous that they were just like Adam. Given all this goodness, blessed with this land, God had chosen them, but they did not know God. And so they were treacherous. People like you would entrust your life to and they turn you in. Like Judas Iscariot was treacherous. Okay, number two. The first commandment requireth us to know and acknowledge God to be the only true God and our God. Not just the knowledge of God, but the acknowledgement of God. Deuteronomy 26 verse 17, where the Lord says, Thou hast avouched the Lord this day to be thy God, and to walk in his ways, and to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments. Now this word avouched is where you publicly proclaim something. And that's the idea of acknowledging God to be the only true God. Luke chapter 12 verses 5, 8, and 9. Our Lord says, I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Verse 8. Also I say unto you, whosoever shall confess me before men... Him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God, but he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. This word confess is homologeo. Homa is the same, or homo. We say homogeneous, it's of the same sort. Homo, and then legese is to speak with your reason. This is what you think, and so you speak these words. So to confess Christ means you own him and acknowledge the same thing he says about himself. You say yourself before men. He is the Lord. He is the Savior. He is the King. He is the prophet. He is the priest. He's fully God. He's fully man. He died for my sins. He rose for my justification. If you say the same thing before men, you're openly acknowledging him and saying, I own him. And that's what the first commandment requires. You must acknowledge him to be the only true God, and not just that, but your God. You must personally own him. So these are, these are the expressions of the thought. Logos is the thought brought out in words. Okay, number three on page two, your handout. The first commandment requireth us to know and acknowledge God to be the only true God and our God, and to worship and glorify him accordingly. Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. 
Again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them, and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. This word worship literally means to act like a dog acts towards its master. And it carried the idea of like licking the hand. You know, you put your hand down. Your dog is subservient, right? Does what you say. Tell it to sit, it sits. Tell it to go, it goes. Tell them to jump, they jump. That's the idea of a dog. That's the idea of worship. Proskuneo. Kune is a dog. To act like a dog towards someone is to worship them. Um, Latin, the verb is to venerate. It's the idea of veneration or honor of religious sort. Kissing the hand. Venerating, doing homage or obeisance. Cornelius did this to Peter. You remember that? He fell down and he, he did proscuneo, it says. He showed him religious honor because he's this great teacher. And Peter said, don't do that. I'm just a man. Stand up. So he would not accept it. And here we see Satan says to Jesus, show me that religious veneration and I'll give you what? All the kingdoms that I rule over. They're all yours. Just show me a little bit of respect. Just show me a little bit of veneration. <coughs> then verse 10, Jesus' answer is, Thou shalt venerate, thou shalt proskunese, thou shalt worship only one object, he says, the Lord thy God. He's your God. You own him as your God. You worship him as your God. And him only, he, sh- he says, shalt thou serve. And that's the word latruo, le- which means like a liturgy or a public service that you do to someone. God is the only one who deserves worship. He is the only object. No one else, not even Peter, the first pope, would accept it. Okay, Psalm 95, verses 6 and 7. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Notice there the connection. We've taken him as our God. We acknowledge that he is our God. We know him as our God, and we worship and bow down. Now, this is the same word in the Septuagint, where it takes this word worship. It's the same word, proskuneo. Let us, proskuneo, let us show veneration for whom? The Lord. Let us do gestures of worship, like bowing down or kneeling. Do we do that before the Lord's table? Do we do that before the bread and the wine? Do we do that before our pastors? Do we do that before images of the saints? Do we do that before a statue? No. Only before the Lord our Maker. And that's exactly what Jesus said. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Okay, Revelation 15, verses 3 and 4. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. That's the true God, in other words. Just and true are thy ways, thou king of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and, notice, glorify thy name, for thou only art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee. What do you think that verb is? It's the same exact verb, proskuneo, to act as the dog, to lick the hand, to venerate, to bow before, to kneel before to show this kind of obeisance. This is what all nations will do to the one object of worship, 
God himself. So when we have the first commandment, what God is telling us is, there is only one object of worship. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And where is God's presence? Where is before God? Some secret place where he can't see, that's not before God, is it? Yes, that's before God. Every place where you can go or I can go, you can't hide someplace and have a little God there and say, well, that's not before God because I have this wall of separation that I built called the state and God has to stay out of that. No, you shall have no other gods before my face is literally what it says. And God's face is, of course, everywhere. He is omnipresent. There's no institution or hiding secret place where you can go. Okay, now a couple applications from this. Remember, we were singing in Psalm 33, verse 12, our second selection that we sang. Blessed is the nation whose God Jehovah is, and those a blessed people are whom he for his heritage chose. So a nation will be blessed if they openly acknowledge and know the true God and say, we take him for our God. So what does that mean if a nation doesn't take God for their God, doesn't know him, doesn't acknowledge him, doesn't worship him, doesn't glorify him? What's going to happen? Logically, the exact opposite. Exact opposite. Very good. And this is true of families, individuals, churches, as well as nations. This is universally applicable. If you would like to be blessed, then you must openly acknowledge God. You must own him as your own. You must confess our Lord Jesus Christ. You must worship and glorify him accordingly. Okay, now also notice the importance of the first table of the law. God is not in the business of dividing up the Ten Commandments and saying, well, in this area of life, you should only observe the second table of the law. But in this area of your life, eh, maybe you should have the first table. Let me illustrate When you go to church, it's okay to have the first table of the law and say who the true God is, to acknowledge the true God. But when you come out into your employment, to your job, or when you go to govern the commonwealth, no, 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 don't bring that first table in here. Just bring the second table. Just bring the rights of men, not the rights of God. That doesn't doesn't work. That doesn't fly with God. He's not interested in that, oh yeah, there's this area where you get your rights, but you don't get your rights over here. The first table is extremely important. We must know the precepts of God. We must know God himself and what he has spoken in his word. We have to acknowledge. Remember God said, kiss the son, lest he be angry with you and you perish in the way in Psalm 2. That's an open acknowledgement. I own the son of God as my Lord and my king. And kings of earth are commanded to do that. Okay, then we attest in our words, in our deeds, we own him and say he is my God, not just a God out there somewhere. That's the first commandment requires more than just that. It requires us to acknowledge and own God as the only true God and as our God, and then to worship and glorify him. And that's why the promise in Revelation 15 is that all the nations shall do what? They'll come and do what? They'll glorify God, and they'll worship God. They'll venerate the only proper object of worship, the one true God. Bo, don't do that, please. They will be involved in this worship of God. 
And this is why it's important, for example, that civil governments do not tolerate idolatry, is because if you say there's another object you can venerate, you can, you can have your little shrines to Mary. That's a violation of the first commandment. Because God says, I'm the only one you can venerate. I'm the only one you can worship. If you deify science and you say Anthony Fauci is my God or George Floyd is my God, that's the same error. You're saying I'm going to take a creature and venerate that creature and bow before the BLM mob. That's what they were doing, weren't they? They were venerating. The natural they were worshiping. The heathen world understands this. Statists understand that there can be no other false worship. That's why they, mm-hmm. wherever statism reigns, they crush, try to crush yeah. God's church. Yeah. It's because they understand that there's only one right form of worship. Now, in their worldview, in their how they see the outside world, that's them. That's they are they are the gods. So mm. they have to crush that. They won't tolerate that. In their estimation, idolatry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a natural bent toward intolerance. So God requires that we worship Him alone, that we serve Him alone, that we know Him as our God, that we openly acknowledge Him and receive Him for ours. Let's pray.